Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Afternoon and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show on this sort of cloudy, rainy Florida morning. I, as I always tell you every week, I love being here with you, and that's because I get to share these amazing people I have met along my journey that have shifted my perspective, that light me up, that make me think. And that's what this show is all about. The show is all about introducing you people to you, you to people who can help you shift your perspectives, learn new questions to ask yourself, and introduce you to people who you can reach out to if you need some help because you need some people around you who have different perspectives. Because when you have different perspectives and you have different people around you with different perspectives, it is amazing how the questions you begin to ask and the answers you get as a result can dramatically change your life and your circumstances. So welcome to the show today, an amazing guest who I met through Marcella Allison, the founder of the Titanides, who has been on this show and who I love and adore. She introduced me to Angie Coley, who, oh my God, she's a copywriter extraordinaire, but there is so much more to Angie, and we're going to delve into it, especially a conversation around, are you able to give permission to yourself, or do you need to get it from somebody outside? So welcome to the show, the one, the only, the original Angie. <laughs> <laughs> that is an amazing intro. I kind of just want to record that and have it playing like just intro me into the room, the one and well, only Angie. Well, you know, the beauty, Angie, is this is recorded. So you can take that snip anytime you want when I send it to you. Woo! Hey, did awesome. I pronounce your last name right? Yep, Coley. Okay. It's deceptively easy. Okay. Well, you know what I found? I have found that when I'm introducing guests on my show, the more difficult the name, the easier it is for me to pronounce, the easier it is. That, that I'm like, oh, okay, it's really easy to uh, to pronounce it. So yeah, I, and then I slaughter it. It's absolutely hysterical. <laughs> I understand that struggle. Since I host a podcast too, um, I have that. I one of my final go live checklists is please confirm how you pronounce your name. Okay, cool. I mean, I mean, I know it was spelled John Smith, but I just wanted to make sure it wasn't John Smythe. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I didn't ask you. Normally, I do every guest just before and then I phonetically write it out just in case mm -hmm. and I didn't because I'm like oh no I know how to pronounce it and, she's like, <laughs> and it turns out that you do so yeah there you yeah go. it turns out I do so you know when when you and I first met through Marcella doing ambassador stuff with Titanides and just back and forth in the the Facebook group where you're sharing your wisdom with people who have questions and, you know, you and I go back and forth sometimes. I was like, she is so cool. I really want to <laughs> just have a chat with her because to me, you are kick-ass. Oh, you, you. you take no prisoners. <laughs> you actually curse way more than I do, but hearing you curse, I realized it gave me permission and how powerful sometimes a curse word is to like release 
whatever is stuck. Mm-hmm. So I want to thank you for that. And you probably never even realized that. <laughs> That's fantastic. Ironically enough, the show is called Permission to Kick Ass, you know, swearing and permission included all in one. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's let's talk about permission to kick ass, right? Mm-hmm. You recently, well, actually not recently, it's almost a year now, right? You ended a relationship moved out of where you were living, decided to stop your career writing all the copy for Jeff Walker, running teams, doing all this other stuff, which you've been doing copywriting for as long as you can probably remember. And you decided, I'm going to travel during COVID. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, You packed everything up in your car. mm -hmm. And have started this journey of traveling to places you always want to go in the United States. I mean, so we're not talking about getting on a plane or, or anything like that. Talk to me about that. And, and did you, how did you give yourself permission to do that? Well, it was interesting because I, I think I'm one of those people that I really just need to think about this decision for a while. And I kind of have to agonize over all the potential consequences of this choice and figure out all the potential solutions. And then I'm ready to finally make the leap of faith. That's one of my mentors calls it that leap of faith. And so last year during the height of the pandemic, I think like a lot of people, I just wound up burning out. It used to be that copywriting, which is sales and marketing writing. uh, If you've ever watched Mad Men, that's basically what I do, but sales oriented versus catchy slogans. Um, <laughs> there's there's a difference and both are very practical and relevant but you know I'm very sales oriented and it used to be that copywriting and telling a great story and coming up with a great email hook or like a great video angle really lit me up and at some point during last year it was just I I'm not excited to do this work anymore which really kind of sucked because I loved the team that I was part of, I just wasn't enthusiastic about the work anymore. And I'm sure a lot of people watching this have experienced that in their life. I used to love this thing. I should still love it probably, but for reasons that I don't quite understand, it's just not lighting me up anymore. So after a lot of internal wrangling, I decided, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to go all in on this, the book that I'm writing, Permission to Kick Ass, and the podcast and then figure out how to transition from being a copywriter to being a business coach, which I love helping freelancers figure out all of the head trash and like get moving with their businesses. So right around the time that I finally, months of working up my courage to, to give my notice, uh, six days later, my now ex dropped a bomb on me, <laughs> literally turned off the Great British Baking Show and was like, so I don't think I love you the way that you love me. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Wait, wait, what? We're, we're buying a house. Uh, and the next day he started moving out and he did this thing where I, I know that he was trying to be helpful. He was like, you could stay in the townhouse that we rented together. And I was like, no, <laughs> no, I'm not staying here. Not with you 10 minutes down the road. You close, you close the door. I'm going to lock it. My friends, all good. Best of luck in your next life. Uh, and then I started thinking about, you know, as I'm, I'm processing the feelings and, oh my God, I've just left my job. And I, now I don't have a, the future that I plans with my partner. The hell am I going to do? I was living in Houston at the time. Never really liked Houston. I mean, my family's there, but it's just not my kind of town. So I don't want to rent a house. I don't want to buy a house. I don't want to move in with my parents. Incredibly fortunate to have that as an option, but I just don't want to do it. And then 
the thought occurs to me, well, I've never been able to get any of my partners to go traveling with me. And I really don't know where I want to go next. And everything is kind of locked down right now. So it's not like I can jump over to Thailand, but I could visit all of the cities in the U.S. that I've always wanted to see that I've never had a chance to. Uh, and that, that kind of was spurred by the idea that I'd never been to New Orleans, which if you know anything about me, I am a blues singer, a jazz singer. And the fact that I, as a musician, had never been to New Orleans in my life was just astonishing that, to me. That's amazing. I mean, I've been <laughs> to New Orleans, I mean, a couple of handfuls of time. And that's not only the musician part that I did not know about you, Andy, <laughs> but your personality. You are so... You needed to go to New Orleans. To I know. needed to go to New Orleans. It was amazing. I ate an entire king cake because I was there during Mardi Gras. It was fantastic. It was a beautiful experience. <laughs> an yeah, entire I, I, king cake, like a big one. In in one sitting? No, my, my Airbnb host sent me a message. And I've had incredible luck with all my hosts on this trip, too. She sent me a message and said, hey, have you had a king cake? And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I had like king cake themed knots from this pizza company. She goes, doesn't count. I'm bringing you one. Hold on. So she arrives like 30 minutes later with a king cake. It literally said on the label that it was for 10 to 15 people. And I just looked at her and I was like, okay, well, first of all, thank you. This is amazing. I didn't expect this. Second of all, how am I supposed to eat all this? She goes, you'll get creative and it freezes well, but you're supposed to eat it before midnight on Tuesday. And it was, <laughs> it was Sunday. <laughs> so I proceeded to have two straight days of breakfast, lunch, and dinner as cake. But I did finish it by midnight on Mardi Gras. <laughs> okay, so so here's a, a follow-up question on that. There is a, a a baby or something. Something's hidden inside the king yeah. cake. How many pieces did you have to eat before you found <laughs> that? Uh, some of my friends accused me of cheating with that because the baby came like smack dab in the middle. And it was kind of like a donut-shaped cake. Okay. They put it in the middle, I guess, for the host to hide it. But I was kind of lazy since I was the only person that was going to be eating the cake. I was like, look, I found the baby. And then I just <laughs> ate the cake. <laughs> I thought it was supposed to be baked into the cake. Typically, yeah, they're hidden somewhere within the cake. But they just like set it in the middle. And I was like, look, found it. Cool. All right, cake. <laughs> Get in my face. Uh, okay, so what... I mean, we were talking before the show that you struggled with hitting the road and you needed to ask somebody for permission. I mean, you are the last person I would ever expect to have to ask somebody for permission. But I mean, we've all been there, right? So what did that look like for you? And what does permission mean to you? Well, it kind of goes back to the beginning well, it's kind of like mid-stage of my copywriting career. I was a corporate copywriter at that point, and I had a lot of head trash around being self-taught. So there were people out there that I, I felt, you know, from my outside perspective, comparison is the thief of joy, by the way, just going to say, but I'm looking at other copywriters having this massive success and these great clients, and I'm stuck in my corporate cube, and I'm just thinking how much better they are than me. And I wind up joining this copywriting community called Copy Chief and not posting for months. So the owner and I have this call. He's now my mentor. His name is Kevin Rogers. And he's like, why haven't you been posting? And I said, well, there's, there's that smart person. And there's that smart person. And they're all saying all these brilliant things. And I don't have anything to add. 
And he said to me something, it's been like five, six years at this point since he said this to me, but it's just stuck in my head. He goes, I feel like you're waiting for permission to be an expert and to help people. And I just want you to know, you don't actually need it. <laughs> like there's nobody out there officially anointing people and saying, hey, you go forth and share your knowledge and I, I be a good human being and help people. But just in case that's what you're waiting for, I, Kevin Rogers, hereby anoint you, Angie Coley, <laughs> expert enough, go help people knowing just what you know now, that's fine. And I've taken, obviously that, that was like a gut punch to me. I've taken that lesson with me everywhere I go. I don't need someone to anoint me but there are still a lot of people out there in the world that are waiting for that anointment. So <laughs> I don't know if this is the best story to tell. There, I was coaching for Kevin one year, a, a group of freelancers that were building their business. And I jokingly said, you know, hey, I'm shaking the vodka bottle of anointment at you. You are, you are an expert, you are an expert. And then they were so amused by that joke that when we had a, a conference later that year, I actually bought a handle of Tito's and had a custom label ma made that said Angie's anointing vodka. <laughs> and we all and did shorts because they're all experts. And of course it's Tito's because it's a Texas vodka, right? It's a Texas vodka and it's really smooth and I like it. So uh, yeah, I was like, okay, I'm a business mentor giving people shots of tequila to mark their expertise. <laughs> shots of vodka. Fantastic. Or yeah, really? shots of vodka. <laughs> I like it. Although shots of tequila are really good too. So Yes. But that's kind of a different vibe. Shots of vodka, yeah. shots of tequila. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, when I think of permission, and and I have anointed like you from a stage, an audience, because I'm speaking at an author conference, right? And I I'm trying to tell people how to go up and talk to potential publishers or editors or agents, and you could see the fright on mm -hmm. everybody's faces. And I, I didn't know what else to do, but all of a sudden this feeling bubbled up to me and I said, I am giving you all permission to walk up to anybody you want and ask them this question. And they all like were on bated breath and because I, I, I figured I needed to give them an opening question. And I said, you can ask them, is there any question that you wish people would ask you that they never have? Oh, that's such a great one. Well, by the end of the three-day conference, I had agents and publishers and movie people and all these would be coming up to me saying, "What?" because people would say, well, Laura said, I have permission to ask you this question. And like they predicated this, like it, it like helped them. And they said that they had the best time because nobody had ever asked them that. And it wasn't somebody trying to pitch them that question opens a conversation. So the idea of permission is something that I think is something we don't talk about enough, right? That, that we don't often, especially as women, we don't often give ourselves permission to take care of ourselves, mm -hmm. put our needs first. It's, it's the family, it's others for an entrepreneur, it's your employees, it's your clients, it's your vendors, you know, all of those have a tendency, it's your creditors, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. everybody goes first. So when you think of permission, how would you define it for our audience? I think it would be allowing yourself to take a risk 
And it's kind of this idea of permission is kind of baked into our culture, especially in the States. You know, there's things that you should do and things that you should not do. Uh, and I think we internalize that message a little bit too much because I'm going to get on a tiny little soapbox about the American education American education system right now, but it's really designed to train people to be workers. And so if you're one of those people that is sitting there like I'm bored and I really just want, I want to create and I want to do things and I want to do this stuff, it's naturally going to wear you down until, you know, you, and, and I feel this like on a deep spiritual level, because at one point I bought into that narrative really hardcore. If you get the degrees, you're going to be successful. You follow the steps, you, you meet the guy, you date for a while, you get engaged, you get married, you buy the house, you live happily ever after. That's the steps. It's the formula. It's We've all been sold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You check the box. And so I think a lot of that, the idea around permission f- stems from deviating from the norm in that way. Like there's a series of steps that we've all been taught, whether it's been articulated in the way I just did or not, that we're like, okay, I'm not on the path anymore. Is this okay? Yes, it's okay. Everybody's path looks different. Um, and I, and I still find it funny that a lot of people think of me as this kick-ass person, super confident, and I go out and I do what I want, but I started life as a doormat doing what I'm told. And that's exactly why I am the way I am now. (laughs) (laughs) because doing what I was told didn't give me the happiness that I was promised. It didn't give me the results that I wanted. It didn't give me any kind of internal fulfillment. And so I knew that something needed to change and allowing myself to do something different from the majority culture narrative, I think really changed my mind and changed my life in a lot of ways. So was it when Kevin, I think you said, um, gave you, anointed you, did that, was that the moment where your life radically changed or was there a moment before then? I think that was the moment it it radically changed. And that was because it suddenly clicked for me that there had been certain instances along the way where I had allowed myself to do something different, but I hadn't given myself any credit for it. And I hadn't looked at it objectively to figure out that, okay, I did this thing and I didn't die. (laughs) Actually, it did quite well. So maybe I should do more of that thing. And just by talking to Kevin like that, it was like, okay, I've, I've accomplished a lot. I've made some decisions that some people don't really understand, but I've done well for myself in the process of following my gut. It's okay to continue down this path. I've already started down this path and it's done well for me. Let's continue seeing how it goes. And then, so that started the path, right? Mm-hmm. COVID hits, <laughs> your relationship ends, you decide you can't live in this house anymore. I'm not going to say you quit your job because you didn't really quit your job. You just made a choice that it wasn't serving you anymore. You may have ended the job, right? Mm -hmm. But it wasn't really quitting. It took a long time and you're just like, I'm moving on to something else. Mm -hmm. It's always going to be there. To Jeff, it was probably like, she quit. (laughs) There were, there were a lot of tears and actually the team, uh, like this, this is a power. Whenever you quit, it doesn't always have to be like high drama and storming out and the building explodes behind you. It's very cool imagery, but it doesn't have to be that way. The team actually conspired to create a blues song called Angie about me, and they recorded it all together and sent it to me on my last day. So oh, it was a bittersweet parting, but it was the right choice for me at the time. And it allowed other writers to step into that role and grow while I go out and figure out the next phase of my life. Which is how it should be. It shouldn't mm-hmm. be the stigma around the word quit, which 
for many, quit means failure. It means prematurely ending something or going out in anger. You just moved on. Mm-hmm. You like grew out of the role and said, it's time for somebody else to take this over and me move on. But at the same time as all that's happened, you know, the rest of your life, I mean, they consider the biggest stressors are, are death, divorce, and moving, right? And you, <laughs> it, it was a death of some sorts, right? Yeah. And COVID changed the world. How did you give yourself permission to, in the middle of a pandemic, before the vaccines were even really available, to say, I'm going to go stay in a stranger's Airbnb somewhere where I don't know an area. Restaurants probably aren't open. How am I going to feed myself? How, you know, I, I want to go there to learn the town, but the town doesn't look like the town that I thought I was going to. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's really interesting because especially since the first town that I went to was New Orleans and I went uh, at the beginning of January. So heading into Mardi Gras season, it's normally when the city would be packed with tourists and the streets would just be like so many people celebrating. I wound up uh, wandering one day and accidentally winding up on Bourbon Street and you wouldn't have known it because it was pretty much empty. Um, but this weird, it, between COVID and this winter being weirdly cold in the South, there was that Arctic blast that shut down all of Texas for a while. Um, I did have that fear about how am I going to do this? How am I going to feed myself? How am I going to get around? I don't really know. And <laughs> my, my first step was to pack way too much, like a typical woman. I think my car was literally filled from floor to ceiling. I've since learned that I don't really need all that stuff because certain Airbnb, I've been to about five different ones by now. A lot of them have supplies there for me. They have cooking stuff, so I didn't really need to bring that with me. Uh, the grocery stores were still open, so I was able to go get food. And then somewhere along the way in New Orleans, that very first stop, I just, New Orleans is a big town with courtyard and patio dining. And they had gotten an easement somewhere during COVID to move into the streets and take over some street parking to create outdoor patios so that they could continue to operate within the the um, CDC guidelines. And so... I made it my mission to figure out who was still open, who was like locally owns mom and pop versus chains. uh, And could I go there for lunch or dinner? And so I actually did wind up, I I joke that I I single-handedly tried to save the dining industry by myself, but I can't eat enough to make it work. So, (laughs) but I had a lot of good food in new Orleans. And then, you know, I moved on to Memphis after that Uh, in Memphis, the vaccine started rolling out. I got my first shot there. In Nashville, I got my second shot, and then things have been slowly opening up. I think when uh, I got so, that- so you got di- shots in different places, and I had different experiences with them too. I think this is the first time I'm telling this story on a on a recording. But uh, the first one I got was during the height of vaccines are now available to everybody over 16. Go get yours. So I did the drive through cattle call version, which was an interesting experience. <laughs> It's very, they have uh, what I jokingly refer to as the in case of death lot. Uh, so you drive into, you'd fill out all your paperwork, you drive into the building, you roll up down your window and roll up your sleeve and they give you the shot. And then they go, hey, so follow that car in front of you to that parking lot over there and you're going to sit there for 30 minutes. 
if you start feeling some kind of way, honk the horn three times and we're going to send medics over to you, which just, you know, I'm a joking person. How do they person. figure out which car is yours that honked the horn? I know. <laughs> and, like, and if you accidentally honk the horn, like while you're shifting for something, does one honk? If you're face, if you face plant into the horn and it's just one long blast, does that count as three? Are they going <laughs> to send the medics? But uh, thankfully I didn't die. Uh, I survived that. And then a few weeks later, I wound up in a grocery store with a weirdly similar experience, even though it was one-to-one. So I went into the pharmacist's office. I got the shot. And as I was walking out, they were like, so please don't leave the store. We want to make sure nothing happens. I was like, well, can I shop? Because I need groceries and I'm here. And they were like, okay, yeah, come check with us before you leave. And just walked up with 50 pounds of groceries. I'm not dead. Can I leave? (laughs) That was a a weird experience that, you know, whatever you feel about the vaccine, I felt like I had done my research and made an appropriate choice for me. And I just want, you know, like you said, I want to get out and I want to travel and I want to meet people and I want to have experiences. And if that's going to help me get there faster, then I'm going to do it. And that's what I did. So NOLA, New Orleans, Mm -hmm. Memphis, Nashville, Mm -hmm. where else? Uh, I just left Asheville and now I'm in Atlanta. So I, I joke that all of the Airbnb, it says ATL, but it's kind of too big to show you. Um, all of the Airbnb hosts have signs somewhere in their homes that remind me where I'm at in case I forget. Oh, seriously? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> in case I forget where I'm at. I'm sure at some point I will, you know, having been to so many different cities that I'll lose track of it all. And, and after Atlanta, you're going to? I think Savannah and then Fort Lauderdale, Miami. And I'm going to end the year in St. Pete, Florida, which hopefully the copywriting conference that I do every year is going to be on by then in the beginning of November. I love that particular conference because the the host, which is Kevin, my mentor, has a bit of a different take on things. I think a lot of conferences are crammed from morning to night with just speakers and events. And we want to get max value out of this. He's like, we're going to talk from like 1030 to four with an extra long lunch break. I want you to meet people. And then Tuesday night or the second night of the conference, we're going to have a big rock show with a lot of the people that are also copywriters and leaders in the industry. So yeah, I usually go to this conference because on day two, I get to be on stage and sing, which brings me a lot of joy. (laughs) I think we need to go on stage and talk about permission. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I really do want to talk about that. The same kind of thing happened when I first joined uh, my very first band. So this is back in 2007. I had these ideas about who a performer was and who a performer wasn't. And like, I'm going to mess up the words. I'm going to blow a note right in the big, you know, power chorus. I'm going to make a fool of myself. I don't belong on stage, but these other people do. At some point, the love of music outweighed all the fear that I was going to make a jerk of myself when I got on stage. And I finally auditioned for a band. And everything that I feared came true in my very first audition, which was live in front of an audience, by the way, not in a studio. uh, They brought me and a bunch of other singers up, like rotated us through for different four song sets. And I forgot the words to two of my four songs. Um, But that particular failure taught me a lot, mainly because the guitarist just kind of gave me the side eye and he leaned into his microphone and he started singing the words, which instantly jump-started my memory. And then I just jumped in on a harmony and pretended like nothing happened here. Like, 
it's nothing to see here. We totally meant That's to do teamwork. that. Mm-hmm. It's teamwork and it's not calling to the fact that you messed up, which I feel like a lot of people think they have to do and go, my, my bad, sorry, start over, start over again. I want to get a clean take of this. We well, are not recording when it's live. You just kind of have to recover from your mistake and keep going. And so by, you know, that's another instance where I, I allowed myself, I gave myself permission to just roll with it and see what I could do and recover on the fly. And that decision helped me to realize, oh, I am that performer that I thought I wasn't allowed to be imperfections and all because <laughs> I got the gig and I wound up being part of the band, even though I messed up. For so many people, and I, I know this happens for my listeners and it happens for my one-to-one clients that I coach, those situations can shut them down because they feel shame mm-hmm. and embarrassment. How do you move through that and past that? Oh God, I've got such a good shame story too. Can I, uh, I'm going to tell you another band story uh, okay. where <laughs> is it, uh, the same band, a different gig. We had just finished a set and I had done a cover of Tush by ZZ Top. And we got off stage for our break and I realized I left my purse and my drink up on stage. I'm going to go grab it. Only I was wearing a short skirt and cute heels. And when I got up on stage, I wiped out like I just biffed it. And... <laughs> My skirt flew up over my butt. I wound up flashing the entire audience, my behinds. And then, okay, well, we got 10 more minutes left on this break and I got to get up and sing or like run screaming into the night. What are my options here? Well, it's perfect <laughs> that you just sang Tush before yes. that. I know, like, you can't make this up. That actually happened. So I got onto this up into the mic without, I think the key there was I didn't really give myself too much time to wallow or to think about it or to get super anxious. I just got right up and was like, all right, into the microphone. Well, apparently I can't sing Tush without showing you mine. We got 10 (laughs) minutes of break. We'll be back. Uh, See you soon. And we all like had a good laugh at my expense, kind of dispelled the tension of what, oh my God, what is she going to do? Is she okay? And got back to having fun, you know? (laughs) So I think like, I could have felt shame in that moment. Lord knows a lot of people would. And I still kind of like, well, I I flashed my butt. Granted, it was unintentional, but like, oh my God, mortifying. But these things happen to all of us. So why hang that around yourself like a weight that you have to carry when you don't, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I I love that story. It's such a perfect story of how... (laughs) giving voice to your embarrassment or shame takes the power of it away. Mm-hmm. I think so much of the shame and the anxious feel, all of the heavy feelings that come from it come from trying to hide it and pretend like it never happens where you can get rid of a lot of it fairly quickly by acknowledging it and f- figuring out a solution if it was a mistake or just, you know, letting it go, accepting that you're human and you don't have to be perfect and continuing to move forward. Yeah. I had a a similar incident happen when I was keynoting. In the middle of speaking, I walk, you know, I I can't stand in one spot. So, you know, you got the the whole headgear thing on and I'm walking back and forth and I was wearing a heel and somehow it caught on the stage fabric and I I went down. I went, Mm. you know, like you're trying to recover and you just can't recover and I'm down and Unlike you, I was wearing pants. 
<laughs> or slapped because I know I have UK listeners and if I say pants, that means underwear versus trousers. Oh, I didn't know I, I that. discovered that when I was working in the UK. I said, oh, I bought this awesome pair of pants and all the men were staring at me like, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, obviously I misspoke. But anyway, I'm down on the ground and it's in the middle of my speech. There's like a thousand some odd people <laughs> in the room <laughs> and you know, of course, they've got the big screens so that the people in the back can see you. So I'm now, I'm like realizing I'm on the floor. On <laughs> oh my goodness. You, you get the intake of breath from the audience. Is she really hurt? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I can tell the event planners are like, what's happening? And all of a sudden, I just was like, oh, well, I'm, I'm down. What am I going to do? So I said, hey, has anybody looked up at the ceiling? That's a really cool <laughs> ceiling. <laughs> That's so oh, and, and the whole place just like the breath exited. Everybody started laughing. And I said, now, I could claim that this was on purpose, but it was not. <laughs> so I'm not quite ready to get up, but I'm okay. So let's talk about when the unexpected happened. <laughs> Oh, talk about turning and, that and into a teachable and, moment. You know, like they oh. all cheered and, and applauded me and everything. And I said, okay, now where was I? <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I spent like another moment or two just talking about unexpected things. And I said, you know, I've learned when I give my speeches that if something unplanned happens or comes out of my mouth, that somebody in the audience needed that for whatever reason. So if my falling helped, (laughs) please come up to me afterwards. I had so many people come up to me saying, watching me get up and just acknowledge it, laugh about it and, and just move on, help them. Mm -hmm. And that's the moment like you, Angie, where I realized I could choose to just skulk off stage, mortified, lose my rhythm or just say, okay, I need a moment to figure out where I was. Yep. Somebody, somebody, you know, like they have teleprompters and everything, but my teleprompters are like images. Mm. They're not words. They're images that trigger me for whatever I'm going to go on with. And, and somebody's like, well, you said this. And I went, wow, they were listening. <laughs> That's great. One of the, you know, you said something that really kind of stuck out to me in that moment. I could choose. I could choose to skulk off stage and be really embarrassed by what just happened. Or I could choose to just take a moment, collect myself and keep going. And I think in that moment, that choice that you made, whether that was a, a conscious like, OK, I can choose this or I can choose that. It was conscious. OK, yeah. I mean, you you were human and you gave people kind of a tacit permission to be somebody, you know, important, important enough to be giving a speech on stage in front of a thousand people and wipe out and make a mistake. And everybody is not laughing at you. Everybody's wondering if you're okay. And I think that's like the big collective unspoken fear, especially with a lot of people that are afraid of performing or presenting or speaking in front of people that they're going to mess up and everybody is going to be like, well, it's not a Stephen King movie. Uh, most people are actually rooting for you to succeed, not waiting for you to fail. Uh, so, I mean, have fun with it wherever you can. And you know, I like to 
think of it like I'm being gentle with child Angie. If Angie fell on her face, I would wait to see, right? <laughs> Every parent, I think, knows I'm talking Crying about. Crying right away yep. or thinking about it? <laughs> is, this, is the scream coming or are they looking to me to be like, am I hurt? Should I be crying? Okay, I'm getting no reaction, so I'm pretty sure I'm okay. Time to go play. Uh, <laughs> and that's really how I look at those things because I know I'm going to bomb. I know I'm going to say something off the cuff and then see people's faces change and go, all right, I probably shouldn't have said that. All right, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Just keep going. Be gentle with yourself because it's okay to be human. It's totally okay. Well, let, let's expand that a little bit because, and I've never talked about this on my show at all at this point, okay? In this world of cancel culture, which mm -hmm. I don't fully understand, right? Because supposedly we've created a world where failure is okay and is a badge of honor in some cases. And yet people are being canceled because of something they've said or something they've done a lot of times in the past, mm -hmm. or in some cases, somebody's trying to um, stand up for somebody else who misspoke or something like that. How do you think about that in terms of, you know, permission? It, it's gotten scary out there to give mm -hmm. yourself permission to express a viewpoint. Absolutely. And I think that's, one of the real fears out there is that you're going to say something, make a misstep and have everybody kind of come after you and try to tear you down. And whenever you do stick your neck out, there are people that are going to be aiming for you. I mean, I'm sad to say it, but there are a lot of people out there that because they they don't they're stuck in one way or another or and they can't see a way out of their situation. They don't they're not really happy with their life. They take out their frustrations on other people, whether they mean to or not. And that's not a judgment. Lord knows I've been there. I've been, I've been the cranky pants person attacking people that I was jealous of. Um, I think the key difference between the people that really make it beyond being canceled when they make a mistake is openness, if that makes sense. There's, there's a certain subset of people that I see that just kind of dig in and go, nope, I did no wrong. I'm not open to hearing about this. Like you guys are wrong. Stop canceling me. And then everybody's defensive, right? Nobody feels heard on that side. The person that made the mistake doesn't feel heard. Everybody is going away angry and upset and feeling like they're right. And the interesting thing about that is the hardest thing to do is to say, maybe, maybe I did something wrong. Let me, let me hear what you have to say and figure out whether there's something that I could do better or not. Somebody has to usually be willing to listen or to say, Kind of like we talked about, just acknowledge, okay, well, I made a mistake. Here we are. What next? I'm going to take a moment to figure it out. Um, yeah, it's, it's a little bit complicated, but I think just being willing to have a conversation counts for a lot in a lot of situations. Whereas avoidance, kind of tying back into that shame thing, really just shuts everything. It brings a wall down. And it's really hard to have relationships and respect when there's a wall between you. You know what I mean? I don't know if that answered your question or not, because but that's an interesting one to to unpack, because I do think it's really easy to get angry, especially now. And we've all been trapped inside for so long and we've got so many feelings. Let's go express them on the Internet. 
that's always, that's always a danger, right? But um, it's really easy to get sucked up into, I don't want to say a mob mentality, but like collective feelings, right? There's somebody else that feels like me, so this is valid. And I'm like leaning into that anger versus sitting back to think about it. Do I really feel this way? Am I upset about this like I feel like I am? Or am I getting kind of swept up in the emotion? Because um, I don't know about you. I'm a super emo person. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, totally. And I can feel the vibe in a room. So if I walk into a room and everybody is like mourning or they're angry or they're upset, it's really easy for me to like breathe that in. And then like, I'm upset too. <laughs> this or is a bad day. we try to the reverse, which is it's my responsibility to shift that whole mood. Mm-hmm. In the room. Yeah. Which you can't change other people. So you're already setting yourself mm-hmm. up for failure. All you can do is change you. You know, like I was I was talking to somebody about that recently that said a lot of human misery comes from one person trying to control another. And I thought that that was so smart. Like, I can't control how those people reacted when I fell on stage. I can control how I react and let that, you know, to go back to the kid falling, hopefully sway their reaction and hopefully they're not going to laugh at me. But regardless, they don't get to dictate how I feel and how I conduct myself. So it, it kind of comes down to a little bit of an inner authority, I think. And to go back to this idea of giving yourself permission, like it's okay that I feel my feelings. It's okay that I'm human and that I make a mistake. It's okay that I'm learning how to be better every day. All of these things are okay. And I'm going to continue to move forward and just be the best person that I can day by day. And some days I'm going to have bad days. It's okay. I, I love that. I, I absolutely love that. And the conversation around cancel culture and permission and accepting if somebody takes issue with something you said, because you never thought that that was offensive to somebody, mm-hmm. you know, but obviously it, it, it happens because everybody has a different perspective, right. And a take on it and there are paths come up through everything. And and the world is changing dramatically. I mean, when I grew up, we played cowboys and Indians. Mm -hmm. I always took the role of the cow, the Indian, because I thought they were amazingly beautiful people. Right. But at that age, we didn't really understand. We just knew some stories from history. and, And as we grow, we can choose to explore the true stories versus what the victors choose to print about whatever is going on. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You know, history is written by the winners. Pretty much. And I think a lot of people don't really acknowledge that (laughs) the underrepresented people, the, the losers in this scenario didn't really get a fair chance to tell their side of the story. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, And now that's those stories are, are surfacing up. Your story is surfacing up because so many people, you know, like the movie Nomad mm. that didn't, I think it just won an Oscar yeah, with so. Francis McDormand. I haven't seen it yet. It hasn't hit one of the streaming platforms that I already pay for. And I just refuse to pay more for something. <laughs> Which when, makes sense. If, like I can wait, you know what I mean? And I don't go to the movie theater because I have sound induced vertigo. So most of what I watch is closed captioning. Right. I can do this show because I can completely arrange my environment and then I go silent after the show mm-hmm. for a while to, to make things heal. But I can't imagine being a vagabond. 
I, hmm. I nest, right? It's been driving me nuts because I haven't been able to have my upstairs office for a year because I've been in an air conditioning nightmare upstairs and then had mold. And then my whole body's like any smell, it overreacts thinking, oh, it must be mold. And, you know, it's finally fixed now. But my downstairs is a mess because everything that was upstairs is either thrown out or in other rooms. So there's barely any space that mm. feels right to me. And here you are living out of a car, going to strangers' homes or apartments or cottages or room in their house. I don't mm. even know which Airbnb type you're hitting. What is that like and what lessons have you learned from that kind of living. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good one because I, and I probably need to write an article to this effect too, but there were certain things, like I said, I had my car full and I, I think I had like three suitcases worth of clothes. And one of the first lessons that I learned was I really only wear like the same clothes on a daily basis. Cause I'm home by myself. And so I need like one or two dressy outfits and mostly like uh, my, what I call my athleisure or my work PJs. What I'm certainly less laundry. <laughs> what I'm comfortable sitting around the house with and then maybe some nice shoes to dress up my jeans and a t-shirt. But like, I really don't need as many clothes as I thought I needed, but I do need an ergonomic desk. So, because I learned uh, in new Orleans before I got my desk that sitting on the couch, I was starting to get neck spasms. So, oh. okay. And not every Airbnb has a desk or a workstation. A lot of people are realizing that digital nomads like me are on the road, but, but I don't think it's caught up yet. So like, for instance, this place that I'm in has a really cozy living room kind of on the other side of this desk. But again, I brought my desk with me. I found a, what a time to be alive, right? There's a solution for every problem out there. I found a folding desk that I literally just like move the legs inward and collapse it and throw it in my car. Uh, I've got a stand for my laptop over here. I've got a monitor stand right here. And I've got the ergonomic uh, mouse and keyboard to help me with back pain. And like, that's one of the things that I need for travel. I will make space for this workstation to come with me. I will throw out the clothes because I can always get more clothes, if that makes sense. Um, so you that's need to write an article, by the way, that includes all those pieces of equipment yes. that you're using. Okay, keep going. <laughs> I can do that too because I travel with all my podcasting equipment. Like over here is my microphone and I've got like a, a sound cage with some acoustic foam and stuff like that to help with the sound because I'm currently in Atlanta and the air conditioner needs to run here 24 seven or I'm going to get angry because it's hot. Like if you live in the South, you know what I mean? There's like, yeah, heat I'm anger. I totally mm -hmm. get it. There's heat induced anger. It's crazy. So like the air conditioner is running, but I don't want that to, to interfere with the sound. So I've come up with this as a solution to help. And I know, you know, I've learned by now to have something behind me to absorb the sounds, to kind of build myself a little cocoon that I could talk in. Um, and I also have to travel with stuff for my cat, right? Because these are, I, I search for Airbnbs based on whether they have strong Wi-Fi and they allow cats. Uh, and then I start looking at the pictures and like, okay, do they have a separate space from the bedroom that I could carve out to be my office? Okay, cool. Does it have a washer and dryer? Yes, I'm not dragging myself to a laundromat because I'm spoiled and I would like to do uh, laundry in my underwear in my own home. So, yes, to answer your question. There are I some people that do that at the laundromat, though. In their underwear? In their underwear. Oh, my God. I haven't seen that. I, I guess I am fortunate to have not seen that. But, yeah, I don't want to do 
if I'm going to do underwear or, or laundry in my underwear, it's going to be at my own home. So I usually choose a place that I've got the whole place to myself. It allows cats. It's got really strong Wi-Fi. It's got some sort of space set up to where I can create a little office cocoon for myself because I have to, I've learned, especially on the travels that I have to literally physically create a separation between work and leisure. And so I come over here and I sit in my little corner and I'm on, and this is work time. And when I leave this little corner and I go sit on the couch or I get in my car and I have an adventure, I'm off. And I think that's critical because that's a mistake that I made early in my career with like, I could work from anywhere at any time that becomes really quickly. I work from everywhere all the time. Right. And that's no way for anybody to live, especially creative people that, you know, we make a living, we trade in ideas. I don't have any ideas because I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything new. I'm not stimulating new neurons and neural connections firing off. I'm just sitting here working all the time and I'm emptying this well, emptying this well, and then I'm not putting anything back in. So like, yeah, traveling actually helps me to learn and to submit that. That's one of my non-negotiables where I have a workspace. It's not on the couch. Couch is sitting time. That is reading time. That is TV time. This is work. Okay. So what else have you learned on this nomadic existence? Uh, I'm really bad at procrastinating. So like I'll settle in and the first week is about unpacking, setting up my workstation, getting back into my work routine. Then I'll have an adventure or two a week. And then my last week I inevitably go, oh crap, I need to do all the things. (laughs) So like last week in Asheville, it was, you know, I, I usually move on Saturdays so that I can unpack on Sunday and have time to recover before I get back to work on Monday. And I, re- I realized I wanted to do this waterfall hike that I had seen that looked amazing and was fairly easy for a novice hiker like myself. And the only time that I had was Friday morning. Friday was when I was packing and cleaning. So I decided that I could do both. No, you you actually really can't do a hike and pack and clean all in the same day, but I tried. <laughs> and so I learned as a result. Yeah, Yeah, if you really want to do a waterfall hike, maybe do that before you have to pack and clean and leave your Airbnb because that's already going to be a lot of physical work to pack everything into your car and clean up. So maybe don't double it up if you don't have to. Okay. Was the waterfall (laughs) hike totally worth it? Oh, it was amazing. I was so mad at myself that I hadn't done that like every day. There was one called High Falls where if you walked over a series of rocks, you could literally sit at this like rocky outcrop at the base of the falls And the first thought that I had when I finally got to the base of the waterfall was I should have brought my notebook. This would be like the perfect place to write. It's like in the shade and the roar of the water and a little bit of mist on your face. Like, oh my gosh, you could really get into it. And there was actually another writer there with her notebook, just chilling out, scribbling away. Oh, nice. I I lost track of time and I found a log to sit on. And then I remember looking at my watch and being like, oh, I've been here for an hour. I need to go. You were in the moment. You were just present to what was going on. That's beautiful. And Lost think, in nature. Yeah, that's that's critical too. And I think a lot of people are discovering that as we're coming out of COVID. Like we need a lot more time to just be disconnected. And I'm not saying you have to go out to the base of a waterfall like I did, but if you want to, definitely try it. But practicing creating distance and shutting these things down and then going and being in the moment without necessarily needing to check in and see what's happening online. Just be, that does a lot for that inner authority that I talked about earlier. Like this is okay. I'm okay. I don't need permission from anybody but myself to be doing this thing right now. 
I love that. That is just so beautiful. So we're getting close to the end of the show. Um, how do people reach out to you? How do they follow your journey? I, I know you coach people that are starting out as freelancers in the copywriting world and, and other worlds. Um, so how do people reach out to you and listen to your kick-ass amazing podcast? Because it really is, Angie, permission to kick ass. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and the, I started that podcast. It, it's related to the permission that we talked about earlier, but it another life-changing moment was hearing a professional freelancer that I admired who did these really high, like high level, really important people worked with them. And immediately after taking every project was convinced, like, I have to refund the money. I can't do this. They haven't responded to my draft within 12 hours. So clearly I am the worst copywriter on the face of the earth. And seeing somebody that I admired who had a successful career melt down like that was like, oh, wow, I could be this anxious person. Like, I'm not alone, first of all, and I could freak out on every project and still build a really kick-ass career. And so the whole idea behind this podcast is really to talk to entrepreneurs in case you need, if you're in the process of building a business and everything is falling down around your ears and you're like, am I meant to do this? Well, then definitely go listen to the show because I've had people talk about facing a six-figure lawsuit in the middle of COVID shutdowns, uh, losing 80% of their business in a matter of weeks and having to figure out how to cope, uh, being told that they were let go at 25 and there's literally no other opportunities in their industry anymore because this field has disappeared. Like, Oh my God, what I do. Wow. And there's such amazing stories about setbacks and surprises, pleasant and unpleasant and what they've learned along the way and what kept them going that I think is going to be really inspiring for any entrepreneur. So that's at, uh, you can find episodes at permission to kickass.com. You can see permission to kick ass on any streaming service. It's Apple podcast, Spotify, it's on all the places. Uh, and all my contact information is at that site, permission to kickass.com. Hope to see you there. I, I love it. Last thought you want to leave my listeners with something I didn't ask you that you wish I had. Mm, that's such a good question. Um, no, I think we had a lot of good conversations. So I don't think that there was a question that you should have asked me, but I will say uh, to everybody that is watching, you have permission to, to do the thing that you want to do, to do the thing that you think is right, to see what happens next, to not put the fate of the world or your life in the balance of the outcome of whatever you want to do. Treat it like an experiment. Laugh at yourself. Heaven forbid, have a little fun. And you do have permission to do the thing. I, that's a beautiful way to end the show. And I'm just typing your website name and I'm going to pop it up. So hopefully I spelled it right. Permission to kickass.com. Yep. That looks right. So that's where everybody can go to find you. Angie, thank you so much. I knew this episode was going to be amazing. Thank you. I, I just, I had goosebumps a whole bunch of different times. I took notes about some amazing things you said and um, I just can't wait to see the response from the podcast. We've had people following here um, as we live streamed, and it's just been a joy to get to know you better. And when you hit Florida, when you're on the East Coast, um, I would suggest staying away from Miami right now, considering <laughs> all the craziness that's happened down there. Yeah. Um, oh, God, you know, the maybe, building collapse. All, all yeah. of my good thoughts going out to the people. Yeah. Just Hopefully we, we really. find everybody so horrible a situation, but please come visit. 
Um, I'm allergic to cats, sort of, but I can dose up if you want to bring the cat and stay over for a night or two. We'll figure it out, okay? I'm surprised she hasn't crashed this because she usually has an instinct for when the camera is on, but Stella's lurking somewhere in the background. We're going to find all the food. We're going to have a good time. Absolutely. I will sync up with you when I'm in Florida. All right, cool. Excellent. I can't wait to actually like meet you in person. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you again for being on the show. Thank you. Bye. What I loved about that conversation with Angie Coley is this whole idea of what are we not giving ourselves permission to do? What do we want to give ourselves permission to do? And are we waiting for somebody to give us permission to live our best life possible? or to change careers, or to change homes, or like Angie, go out on the road and have this incredible existence, figuring out who she is and what she wants and what her dreams are, and not waiting for somebody else to do it with. So I would love to hear from you what your thoughts are, what you're waiting for permission for. And I know Angie is off camera right now, but I know she would join me in saying, we give you permission to live your best life possible. And um, I'm bringing Angie back for a quick sec for the camera thing. Go ahead, Angie, go do that again. Yes, we are lifting our arms up for you because we are all giving you permission to live your best life. And if you need some help one-on-one, you can reach out to me at laurasteward.com and I'm happy to help you reach out to Angie and We want to help you live your best life possible because it's worth it. You are worth it. Have a great day, everyone. And remember, the right questions can change your life. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.